It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to this installment of the Pittsburgh Steelers on 24-7 Sports, the Steel Conversation Steelers podcast. Again, my name is Brian Diardo here talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers Thanksgiving night game against the Indianapolis Colts in Indianapolis. This will be the uh, second time in four years the Steelers are playing on Thanksgiving night. Let's hope that if you're a Steelers fan, this game fares better than the last time the Steelers uh, played on Thanksgiving night. Uh, losing to the Baltimore Ravens in 2013. And we're also very happy once again that uh, Chris Carter of DKPittsburghSports.com is good enough to join us uh, here on the podcast. He joined us before the Steelers' last game against the Cleveland Browns and uh, was once again good enough to join us uh, for this special Thanksgiving night podcast edition. So first of all, Chris, how are you doing today, sir? Doing all right. How about yourself, Brian? I'm sure just like you, you know, you're busy. You got to work. You're trying to get your, your Thanksgiving plans coordinated. But at the end of the day, everything you're doing, I'm sure, is uh, is surrounded by what's happening with the Steelers. And uh, just to kind of get right into it, Chris, I really liked what you wrote, uh, you know, earlier today. I was able to read it. Uh, you kind of were breaking down some of the key matchups, um, you know, going ahead as, you know, the Steelers prepare to take on the Colts between two teams. Uh, that are 5-5, five and five, but really do kind of uh, control their whole destiny. And I just wrote something about that that D'Angelo Williams told me last night, that despite all the negativity out there, the Steelers and their mediocre record, everything's still on the line for them uh, to achieve here down the stretch. But you know, I wanted to talk to you real quick about Cleveland. I know that in another good article by one of your colleagues at DK Pittsburgh Sports, you know, they were able to talk to Steelers defensive coordinator Keith Butler about you know what change in his defense uh, – you know, on Sunday as opposed to the previous weeks. In a nutshell, he pretty much said, I don't know. Uh, you know, what, do you, what did you see maybe schematically from the Steelers' defense on Sunday that might be, uh, you know, might transpire, and we'll see that again on Thursday night? Well, one thing that you always have to do, you know, as an Ohio State fan, you, you must understand what it's like. When you get a chance, you're that big dog, and you're up against that team that you know can't really run with you in any shape. You still need to perform your assignments to the best of your abilities and execute the plays that, that, are, that are drawn up. So your coaching staff is seeing exactly – it becomes that chess match because your player pieces are exactly where you want them to be. And that's what the Steelers' defense did a lot on Sunday against the Browns. They were blitzing in the correct gaps, the correct times, winning one-on-one battles, sometimes not even having to win one-on-one battles. But when you get those opportunities, it's all about doing what you're told. Like, for example – the uh, the blitz that that caused that had the sack fumbles in the fourth quarter, which uh, Hargrave was able to recover for a touchdown. That was set up because well, one, the Cleveland Browns triple teamed Javon Hargrave on the play, which you absolutely never ever ever would you ever do that in in a situation. Would you ever triple team one defensive lineman? So that opened up a huge hole for Ryan Shazier to run through. He attacked it just at the right time, and it was the, it was like the, the perfect situation for Pittsburgh. But you know, when you're going up against teams, not every team's gonna gonna make mistakes like that because clearly, you know, that's a, that's a that's a that's an error on the Browns' part. They did their offensive line did not communicate. As far as the Colts, they you know the Browns have given up, and then this is with with last week and having eight sacks. The Browns have given up the most sacks in the NFL this year with 38. But you know who's just right behind them with 35? The Indianapolis Colts. And part of it has to, has to do with their offensive line not, not communicating as well. Um, so I think the Steelers can replicate what they did. Um, they'll have to continue to throw different blitzes at the quarterback and the offensive line. Keep confusing them as best as you can. Because it confu- you know, an offensive line, you know, if, if they could have players like Joe Thomas all across the board, and Joe Thomas didn't play that well either, their historic uh, – uh, left, left tackle, probably the best play they've had in the better part of 20 years. Um, but, you know, if they, even if you have players like that in those positions, if they don't communicate, if they're not sure about what they're seeing and they're not prepared for what kind of pass rush will be right in front of them, they're going to make mistakes. And it is your job 
as a defense to make sure that you're creating those problems for them. And I think if the Steelers continue to work Keith Butler's team, those mistakes are going to happen. Once again, this is the great Chris Carter from DKPittsburghSports.com. You can find his work there. Again, if you love the, you know, finding out the in-depth things, what's happening on the field, there's no one better. So once again, I, I advise you to check his site out along with our site at Steelers on 24-7 Sports. And, uh, you know, Chris, how much do you think some of it was just intensity and just desire and just, you know, hey, we're four and five, and, and pardon my, 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 my language here, but just screw it. We got to get out. We got to get after it. We got to play hard. And honestly, like, you know, I was watching the game on TV, and you heard was it was it Kevin Harlan, the play-by-play man, when when Tuit hits McCown, it's like he. I mean, it's. I mean, you hear it in the crowd, you hear it in his voice. It's like it's scary, and like you know, Rich Gannon, you could hear him openly muttering, like like pretty much like begging and pleading for the Browns to do something because they were. I mean, he was this. I mean, they were afraid for the Browns' quarterbacks. I mean, how much do you think a lot of that was just the Steelers' just sheer will and desire on defense, and and as D'Angelo said. Last night, just getting back to, to, to just playing Pittsburgh Steelers football and playing with, with that kind of aggression. I do think part of it was a mentality thing. Like, there is a sense of urgency right now. One thing I think – like, there's several things that, that had to wake up that defense. And also, I think it should be commended or, – or noted, rather, that last week, yes, the defense played horrible against the Cowboys. They, they, let, up, they let up a season-high amount of 35 points. They blew the, the, the game with 42 seconds to go. They lost their, their defensive captain. But before that, they were showing a lot of signs of upside. The way they played against the Patriots, despite giving up four touchdowns, the way they played against the Patriots showed that they were working on their, on their chemistry and their assignments and being where they had to be to make sure that they, they followed Keith Butler's scheme. Their game against the Ravens was a huge sign to me. Like, okay, these guys are getting it, and especially Artie Burns when he got his first start and his first interception. And last week, you know, over Sunday, he got his second interception in, in three starts. Um, what I'm seeing out of these guys is they understand that, look, we got to step it up if we want to, if we want to make the playoffs. And I think that they wanted to sort of announce they've, they've heard enough. You know, uh, Mark Caboli did had a great interview with Mike Mitchell saying, I, I damn anyone's opinions and pardon my language, but that's what he said. Um, <laughs> if you get a chance, go, go check that out on, on our website on DKPittsburghSports.com. Mark Caboli put out a great interview and you'll see all the things that he said, but you could just he, like sort of read us the, the frustration in Mike Mitchell's voice. You know, a lot of people, he, if there's any one player on the Steelers that hears it from fans, it's Mike Mitchell. People don't like him. He, uh, he, he doesn't have a very friendly demeanor on, on social media with a lot of fans. Cause a lot of fans, they put, they point at him and blame him. He's not a long time Steeler. So he doesn't get that kind of protection when he right. makes mistakes. And he's, He's made a few mistakes, but people. One thing that people point out about him is like, oh, he commits all these penalties. I think he has four penalties on the entire season. He's not. Right, the, he doesn't have he's a lot of penalties. The, yeah, right. And, and, but you see that frustration in him, and I think that frustration carried over to players like Stephon Tuitt, who knows, who know that he's supposed to have more sacks right now than he does, and that's why he's been he's been doing really well in the pass rush the past few games, even against the Cowboys. He had that one sack that uh, that in the red zone that really that really helped out. Um, the, the defense, I think that message of frustration and urgency is spreading across the board. And when they had a chance to lay someone out, they took it. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned the, the two hit on McCown. To me, the biggest hit of the game was Mike Mitchell over the middle on Terrell Pryor, the perfectly legal hit, shoulder right into his chest, knocked Pryor out. And Pryor even gave him respect for it afterwards because apparently they are friends, him and Mike Mitchell. But, man, it was nasty. And that hit was like, okay. There's, there's something different right now about this defense. If they can continue that kind of confidence, even as they start to face the better offensive team like the New York Giants, which is coming up later in the schedule, um, then I think you'll see this defense start to perform better because they're like, listen, we know our assignments. We can stop thinking about playing football and just play football. And I think that's what's starting to come with Keith Butler's defense. Right, and I agree. I think sometimes it's just, it's just playing football. And, and I, I and I know, you know, going back to our last conversation, just not knowing which, you know, gaps and lanes to run into, especially on, on Zeke Elliott's touchdown. I know that even uh, some of it broke out in the media that the, some some players were, you know, saying to one another, hey, well, this guy didn't run in the right gap. And I know Ryan Chazier was kind of involved in that situation. But, but yeah, I mean, it just, it just seemed like their heads were in the right place. Physically, they were in the right place. And it's not dirty football, you know. I, I mean, I, and hey, I like Terrell Pryor. I watched him at Ohio State. I'm not gonna lie, and I honestly took a little offense to that hit. And until I saw it in slow motion, I'm talking about, you know, I, he, I think he had a couple big hits on Pryor, specifically the one that hit him in the ribs. But I mean, Mitchell, Mitchell doesn't hit him with, with his helmet, and he he lowers mm-hmm. the shoulder, 
And it was a fine hit. It was a clean hit. And, and was it unnecessary? Yeah. I mean, you didn't need to hit him like that. But that's, to me, I'm okay with that because that's a message to – and they even made up on the field after that play. So, I mean, it's, it's fine. And I, I, I'm with you 100% on Mitchell. I, I mean, I don't really understand why – it's almost – to me, Chris, it's almost like – and I don't want to just generalize fans because, I mean, we were fans mm-hmm. too before this. But, you know, sometimes I feel like fans just make up their minds on one player and then that's it. And it's like, yep, oh, yeah. you don't like him, he stinks. You know, and, and case in point, the Antoine Blake, where I was – yeah, he was not, he was not a, starting, a quality starting cornerback, but the Steelers didn't, didn't have him on the roster at this time a year ago to have him do that. There were injuries to Golston and other players where he had to start. And he had, I thought, had a pretty good performance, you know, in the, in the two postseason games last year. But for whatever reason, it was just like and, – and now, just like with Mitchell, they don't like him at the beginning, they're not going to like him now. Yeah, I mean, part of, part of the Mike Mitchell thing, I think is, like, part of what, what has been, I mean, he's, he's had open spats with people on, on Twitter, which is something mm-hmm. I wish that fans would, I mean, fans are going to troll. You can't control fans. What I think the Steelers can control right. is uh, they, they, need to, they need to talk to the guys like, hey, you can't, I know, and I know it's frustrating because your entire life is out on, your, your, well, not your life, but your career is out there on national television with 1,001 cameras pointing at you in all these different ways and all these people that can decide, dissect everything you do in your profession and which challenges your manhood, your livelihood, and everything about you. So naturally, when someone says something about your career uh, and says it to you in a direct form like social media presents these days, you feel the urge to respond. We've seen that with Marquise Pouncey and a number of other players across the league, how they will get into stats. And I mean, Mike, Mike Mitchell, right. he, he, it's, it's well known that he, that he gets into those. And I think, I, I wish, I hope that he, he can avoid those types of things with fans. But, I mean, even, like, you know, if you read through the comment sections, you'll see a lot of people, um, even on that piece where he said, I did, where he said, I didn't want to be, he doesn't care what, what we think. There's a lot of people that are like, well, we don't like you anyways, Mike. And, you know, it, 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 right. it, it really doesn't matter what he does. He's going to get that. And, plus, Mike Mitchell, no, he's not an elite safety. He's not, and people have called him, you know, like a, you know, sort of like a pretender. But the, the guy, you know, honestly, he's pretty solid. When I look at how yeah. – um, how how he plays the how he plays the game. He knows his assignments. He sticks to them. When he has a shot on someone, he takes it. He hasn't committed as many dumb penalties as everyone says he has. Uh, the one thing is he's not a ball hawk, uh, and he's not he's not a big guy that's going to be able to win those jump balls. But uh, as far as a strong uh, as a free safety that you want sort of roaming around and playing in your in your in your secondary. He's the guy that he's the guy that you know the Steelers could afford to have until they find you know their their next heir apparent to go along with Sean Davis for their current youth youth movement. Uh, but I you know I I do like I like Mitchell to be honest his intensity he brings it. Uh, I love the hit on Pryor. I love the way that he he sort of announces with authority when he's out there. Um, and I, I I sincerely hope that him and the Steelers can continue to hit the way they did against Cleveland. Well, no, and I'm with you there. And I didn't like it necessarily because I like Charles Fryer. <laughs> right. No, I like him too. But yeah, hey, you know what? And, and, we, we all at the end of the day, even even yeah, I know, I know, he's from Jeanette. Yeah, right, right, right. But you know, I, yeah. I think that you know, it's not. It, 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 it's the attitude. And okay, mm-hmm. I know you're an old school Steeler fan. I am too. Like mm-hmm. you know, our fanness of the team goes back. Like what we know, of the team goes back beyond our years on this earth. And that's what the 70s Steelers, in my opinion, like, you know, that's what they brought every single Sunday was that, mm-hmm. you know, you might win the game, but you're going to get beat up. You're going to get knocked around if, if you win the game. Yeah. If you're going to beat us, you're going to go through, you know, you're going to go through a war. You're going to go through hell. And that's mm-hmm. the attitude that I liked that they brought on Sunday. The only thing that and, – and, and going to that, you know, and that's the thing that you're going to get with Mike Mitchell. And, and the other thing, too, is that, you know, I know that fans want all pros at every, every position – but in this new era of free agency, I mean, honestly, how many players on those 70s Steeler teams would have played that entire stretch out if free agency, you know, was, you know, the way it is now, the way it was back then? And like, it, you know, we've been able to keep Mel Blum. We've been able to keep Donnie Shell. We've been able to keep – and we didn't even keep Glenn Edwards. We, we still weren't able to keep all of our guys back then. So, mm-hmm. And that's the thing I think people need to remember. And I always get questions about Le'Veon Bell and whether or not he's going to come back. I think the Steelers would love to have him. But it's it's a matter of fact. Where, I mean, you can't you can't find David DeCaster this deal. You can't give AB this deal. You know, you can't do all these things, and then still expect to have all this money. To, I mean, you can only give so many premium contracts to so many players. So you know, but, but I guess that'll be more of a conversation for the off season. But kind of on the physicality thing, um, do you see that 
maybe hindering the Steelers on, on Thursday? I don't, I don't think so, but I think that that's something to, to at least ask you because, you know, the way they played physically, obviously they didn't have any big injuries on Sunday, but, but, and I guess more for you, Chris, specifically, I'm talking more about the offense if you want to answer from an offensive standpoint because, you know, Le'Veon Bell had – I have honestly, Chris, never seen this before in a box score where a player had his entire team's carry total. The Steelers ran 28 times Sunday. He had 28 of the carries. Todd Haley said in yep. an article from the Post-Gazette that, that he does not – you know, they're going to treat Bell the same way. Do you have any fear or do you worry at all about Le'Veon Bell and maybe the Steelers – being a little too banged up heading into Thursday. Well, I, I, honestly, Le'Veon Bell's injuries that everyone's been worried about aren't men being banged up. They're freak plays just where, I mean, right. at, at any point in time, you can tear your ACL. I mean, I've seen I, – I've, I've run with guys. I, I was like, you know, I've, I've played football with guys. There was one guy, he caught a kick return, and as soon as he started to run, there was he, he just twisted the wrong way, and oop, he, was, he, he, he twisted, he, he tore his ACL, he was done for the year. You know, I, you know, that's something that just happens. It's a freak accident. Yes, it happens with more frequency when your players are out there. But, you know, if, if the Steelers played, you know, if the Steelers said, okay, we're going to take Le'Veon Bell off for these 10 runs, you know, because we're afraid of him getting hurt, unless it is a war of attrition thing, like he, has, he legit has bumps and bruises and he has broken bones, it, that, that's, that's when it comes into issue, but not when it, but when it comes to tearing ACLs. You know, let the guy work. Let the guy be what he is. I mean, he, he's a he's a horse out there, man. I mean, it it reminded me that the fact that Le'Veon Bell's stamina is that good because he ran the ball twenty eight times, but he wasn't getting tired out there. He was excelling every time he got, he was jumping in the hole, falling forward, doing what he normally does. He doesn't get tired, and that's why Legarrette Le, Le Blunt left the team back in two thousand fourteen because the Steelers realized this guy doesn't need a water break. He will, we can put right. You know, they have to take him off the field. He will not take himself off. And uh, that's something that I think that they're excited about, Bell. I don't think it's a hindrance if they keep doing it. I think if it comes to the point, like say he, he gets, you know, he gets bruised ribs or say he gets, you know, he gets a concussion, then you should start to say, okay, let's, let's, let's haul him back a little bit. You know, hopefully D'Angelo Williams is healthy by then, but even not, even if he's not, you know, we, still, we, got, we got Carlos Williams to do. We brought back Daryl Richardson off the practice squad. We got Fitzgerald Toussaint. You know, these are guys that we're okay with. They're not great, but we're okay with doing their jobs. Well, I, I like the point you brought up where it's that, you know, you, and, and I know this is something that uh, Mike Tomlin, he hasn't said it as much this year. But I think it was more of the theme of 2015. They don't live in their fears. And you can't, you know, always say, and it's kind of like what James Harrison, he said in his Tuesday press conference. I know you, I'm sure you heard it. He said, you know, it wasn't even on Sunday. I can't remember which one exactly, but Tomlin said something with Harrison, like, you know, what, what are we, what are we holding back from? Like, what are we resting for? Like, you know, there's, there's what, there's, there's six games left in the regular season. You know, it's probably his last year. Like, what are we holding him back for, you know, next year? So, and, and I think that terminology or that mindset also applies to, to, your, to your best players. Like, if Le'Veon's not hurt, I mean, hey, he's not a – we don't he's – not, he's not a porcelain doll. Like, he's 24 years old. And like you said, like, those – and honestly, he's only had – I don't want to say only, but he's had one significant knee injury. I mean, the hyperextended knee, I mean, against the Bengals two years ago, if the Steelers would have made it, you know, a little further in the playoffs, I'm sure he would have he would have suited up and played. Maybe not have been 100, right. but you know, but and I think too, you know, digging a little bit more along the lines of Bell. I mean, he, I mean, I think I think maybe just pure running back. You know, Zeke might be the best right now, but in terms of overall running backs, it's Le'Veon Bell in my opinion. And really, if the Steelers have the money, I would love to see him back in the black and gold next year. Because really, honestly, I don't even need to see anything else the rest of the year he's already validated to me that he is worth the money because, yeah, outside – I mean, some people don't like that he raps, whatever, but, um, you know, he, at the end of the day, puts football first. And I don't think people understand that, that you know, to, to tear your MCL and to not only get back to the level you were in 2014, but to arguably be, be better, I think that just speaks of, on, on his work ethic and, and what he can do in the years to come. He's still only going to be – you know, 25 years old this time next year. I hope that the Steelers, you know, can find the money or franchise or do whatever it takes. But, but regardless, you know, I love and, – and this is, you know, my next question to you, Chris. Uh, once again, Chris Carter from DKPittsburghSports.com. Joining us here on the Steel Conversation Thanksgiving Day special. We hope you're enjoying this while, while you're taking a break or even while you're eating. Hopefully you have us on in the background. You're, you're enjoying yourselves as you get ready for the Steelers game. But, you know, Chris, one of the plays that I – wanted to ask you about specifically was it looked like the Steelers kind of returned to their counter run 
with Jesse James and David DeCastro kind of leading Bell on the left side of the Steelers' offensive line. And, and you know, that's one of the, the plays, you know, the initial plays I remember watching with Bell in 2014 when he really kind of started to break out was against the Bengals late in that season when they just kept going to that play. And I think that's when he ran for 185 yards and two scores. And it was just – it was constantly just, just Bell following Miller and following DeCastro. And it looked like they went back to that – uh, several occasions on Sunday, uh, you know, did you notice that too? And, and what does that tell you about Jesse James and the Steelers' confidence in him as a blocker? Well, one, I thought the Steelers were going to be confident that the, they were going to be able to run the ball. Cleveland's de- run defense is not that good, just as the Colts' run defense is not that good. So be would be, be looking for it again. But uh, yeah, I do think that Jesse James is coming along in the blocking in the blocking scheme of things. That's been, that was his biggest weakness last year and coming into this season. Um, he's not he's not always there. He's nowhere near Keith Miller, and I know that's where a lot of people hold him up to the standards of. But uh, you know, as as a young guy. He's looking really solid out there when you when you need him to, to lead block. And and this is something that I covered in my article today. That you go to DKPittsburghSports.com. I have I do film breakdowns with my uh, column Carter's Classroom, and we break down both how the Steelers play and how to how they should approach their opponents. And one thing that I saw last week that the Titans did well to the Colts, even though the Titans lost the game, uh, one thing that they were able to do with success was when not when they ran the ball straight up against the Colts, but when they were able to sort of you know, create a disadvantage by the Colts' formations and how they line up. Now, now think about this. The Colts' philosophy on defense is very similar to how the Steelers are. They have a base 3-4 defense that they have with the nose tackle in general, but often they have to drop back to their nickel subsets, which really isn't a subset anymore because the nickel defense is whatever everyone uses almost all the time. Um, but, you know, they're, they're often in that situation. So where, 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 when I saw that the Titans have success on the ground, um, it was in situations where they lined up in three wide receiver sets with a, with a solo back behind the quarterback and with, uh, with a tight end on the field. And what they would do is they would motion Delaney Walker back to the backfield, line him up as a fullback, and he would become the lead blocker. Now, because of their formation, the, the Colts had to honor their three receivers by coming out in nickel defense. Um, otherwise, they would just, Marcus Mariota would just say, okay, I'm going to pick you apart right now. Um, so with the Steelers, with the Steelers having Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, I think that they're going to have to honor that the same, the same way. So what the Steelers need to do is do what the Titans did on this play, and this got them seven yards on a, on a key rushing point. Um, they're going to they're gonna come out conventionally passing formations, but you can motion back Jesse James in the backfield. On that touchdown that, that Bell had last week or, or this week against the Browns, that was a, you know, Jesse James was a lead blocker in that situation. He did a really solid job. I would look for him to, for him to be in the backfield again, charging forward, lead blocking for, lead blocking for Bell to get things done. Um, and I think that that could be a part of the success that they have on the ground game. Because if they establish the ground game the way they're going to get Cleveland, it, it will give Ben Ren Roethlisberger another opportunity with this offense to put up a lot of points, put up big yards, and do what they got to do. Um, because, you know, I, I, last week with the Browns, you saw on Sunday, the ground game was there, but the passing game was not. Now, part of that's on Ben, part of that's on, I think, there's some of the, the you know, Kobe Hamilton and, and Eli Rogers not always being on the same page with Ben and that leading to problems. But this, is, this has to be Ben Roethlisberger. He has to find a way to get these young receivers going and make them part of this offense, especially when you have two superstars like Le'Veon Bell and, uh, and Antonio Brown. And you do have decent role players in Jesse James out there. Um, and I think with Darius Green, though he's not looking good right now, give that man time to, to get his feet under him. I think he's going to look solid. But, like, yeah, like I was saying, if they establish that run and that passing game comes back, that this team is going, is going to be really scary looking uh, come December. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing I think that people need to, to remember, too, is that this is still, I mean, I think this is, this is, you know, it's been bad to this point is that they, they're not, you know, they're still definitely a work in progress, but it's also a good thing where, you know, you look at the Dallas Cowboys, Michael Irvin even said it, um, you know, I saw it on NFL Network earlier today. I don't know exactly when he said it, but he said something along the lines of that he wants the Cowboys to lose again because he doesn't like the fact that they haven't lost at all. <laughs> and, and, and over two months. And, and honestly, that, that's kind of the thing with the Steelers where, you know, I don't know how much worse the season could have gotten after the Dallas loss, after, you know, honestly, I don't think the, 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 the Cowboy loss was as bad as the Ravens loss. I think that was, to me, kind of the lowest point of the season because, you know, you lost to a team that you really just, in my opinion, had no business losing to. I mean, I know that, that the Ravens have the same record as Pittsburgh, but I just don't think they're, they're even close to being on, on an equal playing field with the Steelers when Pittsburgh is healthy. But, you know, but again, you know, the Steelers are, you know, you hope that the, the, at the end of the day, you want the team hitting their stride 
late in the season so that they can parlay that into a playoff run. I mean, we saw it in 2005, you know, even to a degree in 2008. And, uh, you know, and that, that's what you want. And I think with Ladarius Green and, and Bud Dupree, I know that that's – and I mean, even us included, I'm sure you would have loved to have seen, you know, Ladarius have seven or eight catches, you know, the last couple of games. But – and Bud Dupree have 40 snaps last week. But at the end of the day, you also have to be realistic and understand that, that these guys aren't machines, that it's going to take time for them to – to get back, you know, get you know, get back into the groove of playing, gain a rapport with their teammates, especially for Green and Ben. My honestly, Chris, I was impressed with Green against Dallas. The fact that he even made three catches, you know, in his first game with Ben, and almost, you know, holding that two-point conversion. But you know, talking about uh, the Colts more specifically here, um, you know, their defense is really banged up. Vontae Davis might not even play. Uh, they haven't released at this point. I mean, we're doing this podcast on Wednesday afternoon. They haven't released it yet, but but he hasn't practiced the last couple of days. You know that that's Vontae Davis. But uh, you know, do you see that the Steelers having any issues with the Colts' defense? I personally don't. I mean, they're they're thirtieth in yards allowed. They're thirty second in in, in uh, passing yards. Uh, I don't know exactly how many points per game they're allowing, but do you see them breaking it down? Do you see anything the Steelers fans should worry about? I mean, it's just under like twenty eight points a game. They're basically giving up four touchdowns oh. a game. Um, uh, it's it's not about it's it, to me. Here's what I think. And Mike Mitchell said this after the Chiefs win. It's, it's it's not about other teams. It's about do the Steelers beat themselves. This is not about whether or not the Colts will be good. This is about can the Steelers execute. The Browns defense did right. not do anything special to limit the Steelers offense to one touchdown over four quarters. The the Cowboys defense right. didn't do anything special to stop the, the to stop the offense from the Steelers offense from scoring between the four minute mark of the of the first quarter to the three minute mark of the fourth quarter. I mean that's that's effectively three quarters of, of of play in a game where the Steelers had no touchdowns. And that those that wasn't because Dallas' defense was immaculate in that time of space. That was because the offense wasn't executing. And some of that falls on Ben Roethlisberger. Some of that falls on wide receivers being hurt. Some of that falls on on the offensive line. But altogether, this that that unit has to come together and be the force that drives this team to the to the playoffs. If the defense is not going to be elite. We've known that. Now, they are getting better. I think they're starting to round themselves up to by the end of the year, we'll be calling this an above-average defense with the arrow pointing up. But going to get this team a Super Bowl this season. That's not going to get them to be able to beat the New England Patriots alone. The offense has to be elite. And that's what's going to happen right. against not about what the Colts do. Even if, if Vontae Davis comes back in the form of Richard Sherman, Sherman twisted into a fusion with Mel Blunt, I don't care. They're gonna have they're they're gonna have to do that with all eleven of their defenders, and I don't think that they that that they have they have anyone that can run with the Steelers. The only defense that really would would worry me about how they would approach the Steelers this season might be someone like the Seahawks, because even the Ravens, the Ravens yeah. didn't do anything special. They stopped the run, but Ben Roethlisberger kept staring at down receivers and throwing bad passes and not going through his progression. That's what kills this team, not other teams. You know, throwing blitzes at Ben, he has to read those, and that's one thing that he has that he has to do that he has not done consistently yet. Um, so, all in all, I, I really think it it comes down to um, it. It really comes down to whether or not the Steelers' offense executes, because it, it's not about it's not about the Colts beating the Steelers; it's about the Steelers beating the Steelers. They have they have to believe that, execute that, and make it happen. And I think if they do that, they'll handle their business on Thursday night. I completely agree, and, and you know I know that that some people, and I can ask you this, you know, if there's any cause for concern with the with the red zone offense. Honestly, to me, I think that's, and I could be wrong, you know. I'm not gonna. You're the X's and O's guys, not me. That's why. I mean, I like I, I like working with you on this podcast, but I also just that's mm-hmm. one big reason why I like you on the show because you're 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 the best analytical uh, reporter that that's out there um, covering the Steelers. But to me, it was that the secondary receivers just weren't getting open consistently. And, you know, hey, Kobe Hamilton's done a really nice job, you know, like stepping up and everything. Uh, now, but if I'm actually going to, you know, look at him with analytical eyes, he has to, to, to actually pull in some of those passes. Like, I, I know there are a few, I think maybe even a touchdown that he didn't hold in. Again, I don't like being overly critical of Kobe because I know that he, this time a year ago, you know, he, was a, he wasn't even on the Steelers team. Even four months ago, he wasn't on the Steelers team. Uh, Eli Rogers, kind of the same thing. Um, but I, I think those are things that are going to continue to get better. Because, again, Kobe Hamilton just needs more playing time. And, and overall, I would say, if you had to grade him, I mean, God, an A-minus, just be, 
because of the fact that where he was, you know, two months ago and where he is now making, you know, it seems like once a game he has like one big catch. Like kind of reminds me in the nineties of like Ernie Mills or Andre Hastings where, you know, they may only have two catches in a game, but they're, but they're big catches. And I think, I think, you know, the more Eli Rogers plays, uh, the more that Kobe plays, that the red zone offense will get better because those guys will learn to get open when they're pressed more near the goal line. And I think, too, Jesse James will continue to get better. I don't know exactly why he's kind of disappeared uh, in the red zone and, and particularly scoring touchdowns. Um, I, you, I'm sure you could, you know, give us a better answer than that. But I think, you know, people that are worried about the red zone offense, I think they're going to be fine. And I think that, you know, when those secondary receivers continue to get more experience under their belt and when they get Sammy Coates back, I think that they're really going to take off. Uh, yeah, uh, Sammy Coates certainly would add, add to the mix because he's someone that I think stretches the field in ways that Hamilton and Rodgers cannot. Those guys are good underneath receivers and good guys to, like, run their routes. They can, they, they, they're usually reliable um, to, to, make, to, make a, to make a catch in space. And, you know, they're, they're, they're guys that, this, that defenses have to at least keep their, keep their eye on. But Sammy Coates, you know, he's a blazer. Right. So, like, when you have that guy on the field, that's an extra dimension. He's the same thing for Darius Hayward Bay if he can ever get healthy. Um, but when I look at the red zone offense and I, and I look for, for problems – there's, there's, there's several elements. One, like I said, there was that one play that I said where um, – so there was a play where Kobe Hamilton where I, I thought that he ran the wrong route. It was the first possession um, of the game for the Steelers. They were driving down the field looking really good, and it came to third down, and uh, Ben Roethlisberger threw up an incomplete pass tor- targeting Jesse James. But I don't think uh, – uh, I, I don't think that the – that, the, that Jesse James was supposed to be the targeted receiver on that play. Because when, it, when you look, when I looked at the play, Le'Veon Bell went to the la- left flat. Antonio Brown did, did an out route to the right. Uh, Jesse James did a sort of uh, comeback pattern short of the sticks to, to the right. And Eli Rogers ran a deep post over the middle. Now, that spread across the field the entire defense of the Browns. And it forced the safeties to run with Rogers down the middle of the field. Hamilton ran a sort of slant from the from the left side of the of, of the offense of the offense, and sort of cut off his slant from coming across the middle of the field and turned towards the end zone, looking like he was going to block someone. Um, so it looked like that, you know, just the way the play was designed, it looked like it was perfectly designed for him to keep coming across the middle. He would have been at at the sticks probably even more, and Ben could have thrown a, a, a nice ball right to his chest and he could have made a solid catch for a first down that kept the drive going. I think that's an instance, yes, Kobe Hamilton, he's not in sync with the offense. You know, he's not, he, you know, he still has time to learn. But there's also times when it's Ben Roethlisberger on, in the second quarter going the other way. There was a third down situation where he targeted Eli Rogers, and it was just too late to get it to him. But on that play, there were three options. I thought he had to get the first down. Le'Veon Bell, if he had just kicked it to him initially in the flat, he would have had a solid one-on-one opportunity with a cornerback to get the first down. And usually I would expect Le'Veon Bell to win those battles. But even after that, I understand not going Le'Veon Bell to right, right away because you know, he, you're, you're trying to get to, you know, pass beyond the sticks. Eli Rogers ran an in route. And he was wide open for a good, like, two seconds there. And it was, it was really what Ben Roethlisberger should have been looking at. And it looked like he just stared at him a little too long. And by the time he did, the Browns' safeties were able to react and cover him. But then even after that, there was another play with Antonio Brown. Um, was, oh, no, sorry, another route, but same play with Antonio Brown. He, he's one-on-one in the left corner of the end zone. He sort of does that, does the move where he fakes going to the inside and then just shimmies to the corner, and the co- the corner couldn't stick with him. He was at the corner, he was going towards the pylon, putting his hand up like, "Hey Ben, I'm here," and Ben didn't even look at. Him. Uh, and it's one of those things that you know Ben has to be has has to know every piece of his offense. He has to be like Terry Bradshaw, the kind of guy that's a mastermind that knows where everyone's on the field so that he can pick pick people apart. Um, and he hasn't done that enough this year. Um, I think when he gets in, and you know, it's, it's really hard to do that every week in and week out. Uh, but when you're the $100 million guy and if this team really wants to win the Super Bowl, it's going to have to be with him being this kind of field general. And, you know, the, I think when it comes to the red zone office, that falls more on him. Kobe Hamilton's going to run wrong routes. He's a practice squad uh, pickup that is now on the team because four of the, t- the team's projected top five receivers are unavailable right now. So, yeah. Yeah, Kobe Hamilton is going to be a problem. But you know who's not supposed to be a problem? Ben Roethlisberger. And I, honestly, every week, and I, I think I, I brought up this up with you last time I was on here, and, and I'll bring this, I bring this up whenever I, you know, anyone talks to me about, you know, when, the, when Steelers fans are angry at the team. People want to point and blame at Tomlin, 
you know, and, you know, Colin Coward wants to say he's not a great coach because he's only won one Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger. I, I think Ben Roethlisberger, you know, no one ever points to this guy and says that some of these games that the Steelers lose or get themselves in trouble to is because he's not this elite consistent quarterback that everyone makes him out to be. Uh, and not to say that he isn't an elite quarterback uh, because I think he, that he is, but when, when he makes mistakes, it seems like everyone points to Mike Tomlin and says, oh, the defense should have, should have created a third turnover in this game. Or, you know, and, and not look at the fact that, uh, that Ben Roethlisberger didn't throw one touchdown pass. Um, I mean, really, the defense saved the Steelers this weekend. While they were the bane um, in the, uh, in, in, you know, against the Cowboys, if it wasn't for the defense having eight sacks, forcing two turnovers, and scoring a touchdown, that, that's a much different game. Um, so, and, you know, to, to, to all the credit that, that, that everyone, everyone likes to, like to pass around, uh, we, everyone should be looking at the defense and saying thank you for that win, win in Cleveland. And I think that looking forward, people, the, the, the onus needs to be on Ben Roethlisberger. He says everyone needs to be more accountable. He's been, he was talking about that, but he needs to be more accountable. I think that once, once he gets to that point that he makes plays more consistently, this team – it, that that's the biggest the team's biggest obstacle is getting through that hump. And once they do, I mean, look look out world because I think Steelers will be coming. I agree, and I think at the end of the day too, when you look at the fact that they almost be, I, I know it's not no one likes and me included. It's, you always hate to say almost, but they they had yeah. a chance to beat New England without Ben Roethlisberger. They had a chance mm-hmm. they they should have beaten the Ravens, uh, despite the fact that they were abysmal on offense for three quarters. I mean, they could have. They had the Cowboys game in the bag, um, you know, the, and and really with the Browns, I mean, and I give the and Ben said it too. I mean, you got to give the Browns defense a little bit of credit because they did a good job in the red zone. But I agree with you. You know, a lot of it does have to be on Ben Roethlisberger, and you know, a lot of that is is him continuing to develop that rapport with his his you know his receivers. And the other thing too is you know Le'Veon Bell just continuing to be you know uh, making sure this offense doesn't get one dimensional. And I have no fear about that. On Sunday, and I and I hope that continues throughout the rest of the season. That the Steelers continue to pound the rock with Bell. I mean, you could see it early in the Browns game. It was, hey, this this is what we are. I mean, we're going to control the clock. Right. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised they didn't control the clock more than they did. I mean, I know 35 minutes is, is good, but I honestly was expecting it to be closer to 40. But um, just a few more things, Chris. Then we'll let you go. I wanted to get your your quick thoughts on just your prediction for the game. Not necessarily a score, but how you think it'll go. Um, and then. Real quick about the football life with Chuck Noll on Friday night, which is going to be, I think, is going to be a real eye opener to people. I wanted your quick thoughts on that too. But first, you know, I think that I don't think this is going to be a game that Steelers fans are really going to have to worry about. And honestly, I think that Steelers fans are going to enjoy this one. I think the Steelers are going to put on a show. I think it's going to be a treat. I think the only thing that I mean, I think if Andrew Luck was playing, I would be more afraid as a Steelers. You know, if I was, a, you know, being a Steelers fan watching the game. Uh, but the fact that he's not playing, I mean, Tolzien, I think, can do some some nice things. But in general, I think this will be a game that Steeler fans, I mean, you'll be able to sit back, relax, and have fun and really just enjoy being a fan of the team and enjoy watching them win by, by double digits. Uh, do you agree with me, or are you a little a little more, you know, you know, not not quite ready to say the Steelers will, will win and win handily? No, I think it's, you know, yes, I, I think it's a major opportunity for the team to pick up momentum. If, if there were any time that you wanted – a team as bad as the Browns, and a team that had, that that right now is competing for their division at five and five, um, but is also as bad as the Colts. This is this is what you're looking at now. Also, keep in mind the Steelers haven't had two weeks in a row where they've won back to back road games since late 2014. So you know you're hoping that this team can this, this might inspire Tom and these road woes that have been for the 2016 season. Um, you know, I, you know, I think that the if the you know again it comes down to which offense shows up. Are we going to get the, uh, the 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 offense that played last week or against the Philadelphia Eagles, where Ben Roethlisberger is not sure where he's looking, um, and you know the the offense seems out of sync, and it's going to take like you know a, a big run from a player like uh, Derrick Hayward Bay to go at 80 yards, or is it going to take like, you know Le'Veon Bell getting 140 yards again, or are we going to see the offense that showed up against the Kansas City Chiefs when it seemed like everything they did was the right move? Um, and, you know, it's all about can they be consistent? Can they, they be in their system, make the plays in front of them? I am very confident that the Steelers' defense is going to have another solid performance. But even if they don't, even if they're just mediocre and they give up 17, 20 points, that, I don't think that the, the post offense is going to be able to light them up. Even if by some miracle Andrew Luck comes back into the fold and is ready, is ready to play, 
I think the defense, if they can hold them, no, no, no. I'm not. Even, I don't care how many points the defense. The 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 Steelers' offense has to be able to outscore the Colts' offense. You know, no matter who, whether it's Andrew Luck or Tolzien back there, it's going to. Be, and if they right. can't do that, if if they can't do that right here and now, there, there's no point to to, to wishing for them to right. win the Super Bowl. And not, there's no point, but the, it's going to be a extremely long shot for them to do so. And that's that's what it comes down to right now. This offense is. It, it, you know, name by name, player by player, has more talent on 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 its offense than, than Indianapolis has on theirs, and that's what's going to come down to. Um, and the defense, I think the defense is also more talented. But again, you know, this is this defense. It, it, it's sort of a flip of what it was in the mid 2000s, Brian. It's in the mid 2000s when Ben Roethlisberger took over the offense, and they were still freaking. The offense was ranking around 15th, 16th in the league in scoring. You know, 18th in passing, maybe maybe eighth in rushing. You know, they they were middle of the league, not really spectacular. But what carried those teams was the defense was number one in scoring, number one in rushing, number one in this, number one in that. And now you, we've seen the flip. The defense is in the middle of the league nowadays. They're the ones that are trying to sort of figure out who they are and not do it. But the offense has to be number one in a lot of categories. We have one of the best. We have the best running back in football. You know, some people might say it's Ezekiel Elliott right now, and he's certainly playing like it. But I think that over time, when you see these players start to play more and more, I think everyone's going to see, okay, Zeke is very good, but he can't do the, the 3,000 different things that Le'Veon Bell can, can add to an offense. Um, I, you know, I'm just I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, um, if the offense can get it together, if they can play to to their capabilities with this, then the steel the Steelers are good to go. So uh, my my prediction, man, I, I you know if um, I still I think the Steelers will absolutely win this game. You know, I think it's it, you know it's not one that they need to just look at and say, oh, we're gonna win because you should never do that in the NFL. But I think it's a situation where. You know, they, they need to look at this in every game. Every game is a playoff game right now. You know, this is a make-a-statement night, you know, sort of the way they did with the Chiefs. Because I think that's what they did, was that they were so embarrassed, they were so humiliated by how poorly they played against Philadelphia. And, then again, it wasn't that the Eagles did a, a elite things all across the board. It was they had several lapses throughout the game. So now you're learning from those. You're improving from those. And they're, they're, they're showing, they want to show to the NFL, look, you may think, that you know who the Steelers are right now, but you really don't, and only we know who they are, and that should scare you. So that, that's what this game needs to be. The defense, they need to come out, continue their performance. I think they'll get three or four sacks in this game because I really think that people, uh, people that, you know, that are like, oh, well, the Browns, the Colts are, are, are not that much better you know, when it comes to protecting their quarterback. So look for, that, look for that to happen. Look for some turnovers to occur, but also the, the, the offense, absolutely. Get the ground game started. Ben Roethlisberger, take what they give you. The Colts are a uh, – they'll, they'll let you run in front of them with your route and then tackle the, tackle the ball. You know, they're not a team that, that, that tries to cover you tight all the time. So those passes will be open for Ben Roethlisberger. And then eventually, when they do try to get aggressive, because the, then the, the ground game's been going, the short passing game's been going, that's when you hit them over the top with Antonio Brown or Kobe Hamilton or Eli Rogers or hopefully even uh, Sammy Coates or even Latarius Cream because he's really pretty fast when he, when he gets going. So, you know, I'm saying somewhere upwards of, you know, 28, 31 to around 14, 17-ish. That, that, that's my thing in favor of the Steelers if we're going with a prediction for this game. Yeah, you know what, and, and, and I like that prediction. I'm going to go with like a 34 to like 13 kind of score, maybe even like 16. I don't, I don't really see the Colts even getting into the 20s. I think the only thing, like when I looked at Tolzien's stats in his, in his you know, very little, uh, you know, NFL you know, regular season experience. He's got, like, yeah, he had a three-interception game. I mean, he'll throw for – he can throw for some decent yards. He, his completion percentage isn't awful. But, it's. I mean, I think a lot of it is dink and dunks. It's it's West Coast mm-hmm. stuff. Um, it's kind of like what a lot of the Houston Texans run. And a lot of NFL – you know, what a lot of that elite NFL teams, you know, or non-NFL elite teams do. They do they do things of that nature. So, Real, real quick, and I, I agree, Chris. I think they'll blow them out. I think the only hope that the, the Colts have of winning is if they get turnovers on defense, they can get pressure on Ben Roethlisberger, they can make them a one-dimensional offense, and yeah, and if they can get Frank Gore, you know, running and have that set up their passing game, and if T.Y. Hilton goes off, but I, I don't really, I, he might have a good game. I don't expect that to happen. Uh, real quick, quick, Chris, what do you think about the uh, the Chuck Knoll uh, Football Life documentary on Friday? Terry Bradshaw came out and said in the preview that he'll never talk about Chuck Knoll again after that documentary. What are your thoughts on it? 
Um, you know, there's always been that question of what, what happened between Terry Bradshaw and Chuck Noll. You know, a lot of people, you know, I think Terry Bradshaw, he didn't show up to his funeral. Um, and a lot of people are like, wow. And there's, there's been times where Terry Bradshaw has spoken so, uh, so delightfully about Noel and their experience as, as player and coach. But he's also been very open about how he was dogged in Pittsburgh in his early years and how he, you know, kind of dealt with depression and fought with those type of things because he came here as a first-round draft pick that got booed and people were hanging his body in effigy by, by nooses um, in, the, in the stands, you know, you know and, and he dealt with that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I get why Terry Bradshaw, you know, might not want to talk about Chuck Noll that much. But I will say this, um, Chuck Noll, he created something that, has, that, that, that lives on to this day in the Steelers organization. You know, uh, just all the things that I've heard people talk about him and the times that I've seen him speak on camera, um, he seems like that guy that, listen, I come to do a job and I'm going to do it to the best of my abilities. And, you know, I'm, we, we, you may not be the fastest in the world, you may not be the strongest in the world, but doggone it, you're going to do your job better than anyone else. Um, and everyone gets, says, Bill Belichick, well, that's his slogan, do your job. Are you kidding me? That's, what, that's been the Steelers' motto since the 70s when the Patriots were getting slacked every week. Um, so, you know, Chuck Knoll, you know, people, I think that, I hope that this opens up more people to the, the fact that this guy was one of the greatest coaches of all time in the NFL. Because I, I hear these conversations, like I listen to Mike and Mike in the morning, and I remember like a year or two ago, they did their Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches. Oh, and yeah. they didn't, not even, not even an honorable mention, mention him. for Chuck Noll. Right. And I was like, are you serious? There, there are three coaches in the history of the NFL with four Super Bowls. And I, you know, you, know, you want to throw Bill Belichick up there? Okay. You know, the, you know, and I think that Bill Belichick should, Bill Belichick should be up there, albeit he is a cheater and he, had, he got away with a lot of things and we're still learning more about what he's done in, in his time. But by all means, he is one of the best coaches that have ever lived. Um, Bill Walsh, one of the best coaches that have, that have ever lived. You know, and, you could, and Vic Lombardi, one of the best coaches that ever lived. But if you go throughout coaching and do not mention Chuck Knoll's name, you have done a dishonor to the game of football and the great things that he did for it. I mean, he built that defense. That defense was that, was that, that, that he had established there and the way that that organization was run. Um, that, I mean, it, it spurns so much for how the Steelers operate to this day. The, this, the mentality that they have, the, the character that they carry with the organization, not necessarily saying that these guys are all great because Ben Roethlisberger certainly has been less of a reputable person in public, but it, the way they operate at the games, you don't see them – you know, going off on teams. You don't see, you know, the, the sort of Cam Newton-like moments. And, again, I, I like Cam Newton, but, you know, the things that he said in public, you know, you don't see those kind of breakdowns happen as much. You, you know, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin, these are quality coaches that have come behind him and they've had this blueprint. That's what Chuck Knowles brought to the game. And even Tony Dungy comes from the Chuck Knowles coaching tree. And he's also that, that tough, tight-knit, you know, well-conducted well, well, uh, individual that's a leader for a team and leads a bunch of young men onto the field and, 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 and sticks to his philosophy no matter what the odds are against because he knows that if he can get his players to do what he knows is good football, they're going to get it done. So I'm excited to see Chuck Knowles' football life. Um, you know, I, I really hope that it's, uh, it opens up a lot more positive life, uh, you know, a lot more positive things about his life. We didn't get to hear a lot of Chuck Knowles because he suffered from Alzheimer's in his late life and, uh, and, and, with, and with good reason. Him, his family, and the Rooney family protected him and his family because you should never, you know, I, you know I've, I've had people in my, I still have people in my family that are suffering from Alzheimer's. It's a horrible disease, and it's one that you should respect someone's faith. So I'm very interested to see, interested to see what light they paint Chuck Knowles' tenure and how they paint the 70s and what he did, and even the 80s and how he carried on and passed it over to Bill Cowher in the 90s because, uh, to me, Chuck Knowles is the greatest coach in the history of the NFL and I, I hope that there that, that this documentary can can shed some more light into why myself and others think the same way. Well, I completely agree with you. And you know, to me, I think this is going to show. Like, I think obviously like, the big sell because NFL Network wants to sell it, and I think the big sell was that you know Terry Bradshaw says he'll never speak to, about Chuck Noll again, and it's this trade. You know, I don't know if you've seen it, but even Steelers.com had a tweet about it where they showed kind of the preview. And I mean, that's fine. They want to they want people to watch it, which I'm all for, but. I think it's going to more or less, you know, it's going to be more focused on his drive to really be great. And I don't think people yeah. really think of him as a maniacal competitor and, and really, you know, that hardcore about winning and all those things. But, like, you look at that team and how, how they played and the style that they won. I mean, it makes sense that the guy leading them was this guy that was obsessed with winning. And 
not in an unhealthy way, because I think that's the other thing, too, they're going to focus on this, is that it's honestly kind of amazing when you look at, like, and I even give, I give uh, you know, Mike Tomlin a lot of credit for this, too. I mean, you, you don't hear much about Mike Tomlin off of the football field, and you never heard anything yeah. about Chuck Noll off of the football field. I know that he liked vanilla ice cream, that he liked the, the orchestra. He liked going to the symphony. That's all <laughs> I know about Chuck Noll in his personal life, and that he did a lot for charities, and, and he, he remained close to his players until his death in, in, in 2014. But I think people are going to see that side of Chuck Noll the, 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 the crazy competitor, like I think of like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant, like that level of just assassin that does whatever it takes to win and, and really imparted that into his players. And, you know, and I think it's going to be interesting too from a, from a, from a, a, just to see how he was a coach to those players and how they, you know, not everyone loved Chuck Knoll, but do you have to love your head coach? Isn't, isn't the objective to win and, and to, you know, better yourself. And at the end of the day, too, I know, I mean, look at how many of, of Chuck Knowles' players. I mean, Terry Bradshaw's had a very successful broadcasting career. I mean, uh, you know, you look at Joe Green, ended up working for the Steelers and got into coaching. Uh, Lynn Swan's an athletic director at USC. I mean, all of them, or many of them, end up being very successful post their football career. I mean, Mel Blunt, I could go on and on. And, you know, yeah. I, I think the, the main thing that people are going to see from this documentary is that Chuck Knowles built, the, he built a structure within the Steelers that's, and with those players that still exist today, which is that if you do A, B, and C, then you will not only be successful here, but you'll be successful if you apply these things to other, other places in your life. And you might not like it at the time, a la Bradshaw, when you have to go through it and you're under his tutelage, then maybe when you get older, you do look back and you appreciate it. And that's the whole thing with his funeral and whatnot. Like, I'll never be one to say well, how people should mourn someone's loss. I mean, that's, that's your right. – that, I don't even know that. I shouldn't be talking about it, to be honest with you. But, you know, I, I just think that – and I think there will be a silver lining there. And, you know, and I know they made up before Chuck Noll passed away, and it's a shame that it is the way that it is. But I think at the end of the day, I don't know if Terry Bradshaw well, – there's no way he would have been the Hall of Fame quarterback if he didn't have Chuck Noll as without, coach. Without Chuck Noll. And, and there's no way that Noll wins those Super Bowls without Bradshaw. So they're the perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, and like you said, all right, like you Chris. Say, well, often, you know, I'd love to talk more, but I know I'm sorry. Oh uh, yeah. No, no, I, I was just. I you know, was just I, I, say, you know, uh, I know you've yeah. got Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, man. I keep talking over you. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I, I just want the last thing I was going to say is what you brought about his off the off the field work. You know, um, the 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 title of Gary Pomeranz's book that 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 focuses around that '70s Steelers dynasty is you know their life's work, and he would tell you. When you left the team, it's time to get on with your life's work. And I think that's what he said with himself. It's a, you know, he believed that, you know, he was all about winning. He was all about football. But he was also all about, you know, make sure you focus on the real goals in life. And that's, you know, being happy, accomplishing the goals that you set out for yourself. So I'm definitely excited to see more about Chuck Noll on the field and off. All right. I promise you this will be it. I promise you because I wanted to do this with you real quick. Number one pass rusher in Steelers history. Who is it? Oh man, you gonna hit me with this right before the show? Oh man, absolutely! Ah. I told you, I told you, I know, I know, I had to get uh, to it. You though. said a top five. I didn't even think. Oh, I completely forgot about this. Okay, oh dang it, man! You're well, killing okay. me right Whatever now. you want to do, me. I don't care. All right, all right. I, I know, I know. In no, in no order, in no order. Let's say okay. top five. I, I got James Harrison has to be in there. Greg Lloyd has to be in there. Jason Gilden has to be in there. Joey Porter has to be in there, and Elsie Greenwood has to be in there. Those are my those are my five. I can't I can't rank them right now. I think James Harrison is number one because that's the one that I've watched the most. I would probably put Elsie Greenwood at number two because he had four sacks in the Super Bowl and no one's ever done that. Or if he was four and a half sacks, he has the most sacks in the history of the Super Bowl. Um, you know, then I, I'd have to say after him probably Jason Gilden because Gilden just did it for so long for so well. Um, then Joey Porter and then maybe Greg Lloyd. Uh, you know, but the, off the top of my head, those are my guys. You, you could throw a Kevin Green in there even though he was only with the Steelers for three years. Uh, but th- those are those are my five. But I still got to say James Harrison's the best, just because of just how I watched him just kick people's butt twenty four seven three sixty five. Uh, you can't argue it. You can't argue it. And, and I think this is like debating the best running back in NFL history. Like if you say, you know, there's like four or five guys you can bring up, and then you can't argue it. Like you say, okay, well, you know, like Walter Payton, Emmitt Smith, Barry Sanders, you know, those Jim Brown. there's just yeah. some guys, Jim Brown. With me. Honestly, to me, number one is Joe Green because they built the stunt four three all around him and how dominant he was. He didn't count, obviously they didn't count stats individually until eighty two when he got, you know he had already retired. But you know, and I don't even think he got as many stats as he could have gotten just because he let 
Dwight and LC and Ernie and other guys get sacked because he always took on the, the double and triple teams. I think earlier in Joe Green's career, even before you know, they won all the Super Bowls, I think that's really when Green was at his apex. Was like I think really the last year that Green was really at his height was 74, the year they won their first one. I think, you know, obviously he was still very good at, you know, after that until his retirement, but I think really his great years were like 69, 70, 71, 72, when, I mean, he, when, if he was single-teamed, he was going to get to the quarterback. Maybe not, not, not necessarily get a sack, but he was going to deflect the pass, he was going to force a rush, or he was going to help someone else get a sack and lead to turnovers. So to me, it's, it's Joe Green at one. Uh, then Harrison at two, for every reason you said, and you're right. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I would probably put, you know, maybe Lloyd at three, Greenwood at four, because uh, Greenwood's got to be in there. And then uh, mm-hmm. you play Gilden at five just because, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, Gilden, he doesn't have the hardware, the Super Bowl hardware, but he always got to the quarterback. And he, you know, early in, earlier in his career, I mean, his nickname was Baby Lloyd just because he filled, you know, Greg Lloyd's shoes pretty well, got to the quarterback, made a lot of plays. And really, when you look like, oh, I mean, I guess, honor, I guess honorable mention would have to be, uh, Joey Porter, just because I mean I don't know if I can put I probably honestly Chris probably have to put Porter ahead of Gilden. I know Gilden has more sacks, but Porter's sacks were more meaningful, especially you know when I think of Joey Porter, I think of the the, the Colts game, the division around yeah, literally but... unblockable. <laughs> yeah, that was I mean when he got back to back sacks in the fourth quarter on Peyton Manning, that was he's like you want to cheat, cheat that. I mean that was oh and, yeah. and they shot me in Denver. Oh man, he just. The iconic things make Joey Porter. I think J- Jason Gilden was the better pass rusher, but Joey Porter would be the better. If I had to pick between the two and I needed a leader for my defense, I, I think I'd put Joey Porter there just because he brings that, that mean and nasty and that clutch play, the clutch play that he brought throughout all throughout 2005. Do you think that Porter makes the Hall of Fame? No. I don't. If, I don't if it would be, so it'd be, it'd be a long shot. There's uh there's too many, there's too many things that I think there's too many others that are in the way. When you see a player like Jerome Bettis um, go, he had to wait five years after he was eligible to get in. And he's what was the fifth all-time leading rusher. You know, the, the big, the biggest running back that ever did it the way he did it. Um, it took that long for him to get in. It took like four tries for Chris Carter to get in the hall of fame. There's too many guys that are ultimate legends. Whereas, you know, Joey Porter, he was a very good player, even at times a great player, but he wasn't the complete elite package that I think that they want in the Hall of Fame. Eventually, maybe down the line, he'll get there. Um, I just don't think we'll, we'll see it um, in, in, in this generation of football. It will come later down the line, uh, sort of the way Jack Butler was, was inducted into the Hall of Fame. By Harrison. Yeah. Just because of, of the more iconic plays, he has, you know, he has one more ring. He was defensive player here. Oh, you're asking, sorry, you're going in and out. That's, that, I was confused. Okay, but yeah, but James Harrison, I think he would go in before Porter for sure because he, he was a defensive MVP of a season. Um, he had the, one of the, the great, you know, he had the greatest play in, Super Bowl, in the of defensive Super Bowl history with that 100-yard interception, um, and he backed it up being the all-time Steelers sack leader, um, and he did it for such a long period of time. I think he will get into the Hall of Fame. I, I, I'm more certain about him. But, again, you're dealing with – people don't treat the Steelers, you know, candidates the same way that they treat other teams. Um, you're, you're dealing with a team that has Elsie Greenwood, who has the most sacks in the history of the Super Bowl, has four Super Bowl rings, and was part of the legendary Steel Curtain. He's not in the Hall of Fame. You're dealing with uh, a player like Donnie Shell. I think he, he has, like, 40-some interceptions. He, 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 he's up there in interceptions right now all time. He's over 50. He would be 50. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. He had, he had, he's up there with some of the most interceptions of all time, and he's not in the Hall of Fame right now. And he hit, he hit people lights out. He broke Earl Campbell's ribs. You know, you know that, that, that guy not being in the Hall of Fame, that's a shame. I think a player like James Harrison, because he's newer and because he's fresh in people's minds, maybe he gets in after, like, his sixth or seventh try, maybe. But I just – I have a hard time. Although there's players like Aeneas Williams, who I, I thought was a very good player, but not this – Elite superstar. He got in before other players. I thought I thought should have been in there. So who knows? Just we just got to see how that plays out. Yeah, you know, and that, and that's why I honestly I don't I don't lose sleep over it. And I hope that like people like Porter don't either because you know, and I don't think he is. I think he's kind of moved on with his life too. But you know, to me, it's just everyone's opinion. So you mm-hmm. know what I mean. So it, it's just one of those. It's just one of those things where. Uh, 
you know, it, it, you can't control it, so why stress about it? And I think Joey Porter's more worried about getting a win on Thursday night than that. So, Chris, I'll let you go. It was a blast. I enjoyed it. I hope our listeners enjoyed it. I hope I know you learned something for sure whenever we have Chris on. Mm-hmm. We do. And, and please, again, I advise you to check out his website uh, and DK pittsburghsports.com it does not cost much at all i mean it's it, and it's worth it's worth every penny it's fantastic you know and like chris said you, you're gonna get his work you're gonna get marco boy's work you know they have they have you know several guys that cover the Steelers. they cover Pitt. you know i know they got a big game you know james connor's senior day and our best of luck to Pitt in that game they cover the penguins year round you know uh penn state i believe as well so you know the pirates uh they got to have a better season than last year. And if they are, then, then DK Sports will give you the information there. So, you know, we hope you enjoy your, your Thanksgiving. Chris, we hope you enjoy yours, sir. And uh, I know you'll be working like me. And maybe we'll, we'll do this again sometime next week. All right, yep. Yeah. Yeah, take care. Happy Thanksgiving, Brian. Thanks again, Chris. And for all of you, have a merry and, and blessed Thanksgiving. Enjoy the Steelers game. And for all of us here on Steelers on 24-7 Sports, it's a great day to be a Steelers fan. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.